I'm Verity Firth, and welcome to Digital Divides, Series 3 of All Things Equal. We live in an age of disruption. Technology has reshaped all aspects of life on the planet. Every advance offers exciting possibilities, but also unintended consequences. Traditional social structures are being challenged, remade or destroyed for better or worse. Human rights are not immune to the challenges posed by our new tech-defined reality. From 2SER and the Centre for Social Justice and Inclusion, UTS, Digital Divides will hear the real human stories behind the tech hype. Enjoy the show. So whenever you're ready, Greta. That's our producer, Dan Butler. And this is Greta. This is awesome. Well, this is the voice Greta uses to express herself. (laughs) Good. It's awesome. It's awesome to have you here. My name is Greta and I am a 28-year-old woman from Western Sydney. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, earlier this year, I graduated from a Bachelor of Arts degree that majored in culture... Greta has cerebral palsy and can't use her vocal cords. She types her thoughts into an iPad using her nose and text-to-speech technology reads it out. Do you remember the, f- the feeling you got when you first got some of that technology and how that changed what you were able to do? The process of typing is a slow one. Greta takes several minutes to answer the question. Hmm. Basically, freedom. Suddenly, I didn't have to ask anyone to set up my computer and me switch just to go on Facebook. Or pretend to do schoolwork to get online. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that feeling. (laughs) Technology, by and large, has the effect or at least the intention of making life easier. From the loom machines that revolutionised the textile industry in the 1700s to the self-driving cars of today, tech can make slow things fast, hard things easy, the impossible possible. For people with a disability, the opportunities presented by advances in technology can be life-changing. But when it comes to designing for disability, are we including the people who matter most? What happens when they are left out of the design process? This episode, we'll be looking at some of the developments helping people with a disability navigate the world around them and the benefits of designing with everyone in mind. Personally, I, I love technology. It's a passion of mine. Um, and so I just seem to have kind of, I don't know, fallen into this, this area quite naturally where people seem to, um, you know, want to ask me about technology. And, um... and here's another one. Yeah. So, yeah. That's right. This is Emma Benison. She didn't always have this affinity for technology. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I used to be, as a, I guess, even as a young child, I used to be quite disinterested in technology and probably I would say terrified of technology um couldn't really see why there was much point to it and I think I think that all changed back in about 1988 when I was 
12 and suddenly this thing called the Eureka A4 came onto the market and it was um, a talking computer with a braille keyboard. And what that meant for me as a child, you know, attending high school was that I didn't have to carry around a massively heavy metal braille machine. Emma was born completely blind. The computer was a revelation to her because unlike much of the world, it was tailored to her experience. And so suddenly I realised what technology could do for me. And because this particular piece of technology was purpose-built for people who are blind or vision impaired, it was really usable and very user-friendly. And I suddenly realised that I enjoyed it. I was, I was getting something out of it. It also had a music composer and I'm a musician, so that drew me in as well. And after that, there was no, there was no turning back really. Emma is the CEO of Blind Citizens Australia. Our mission is all about empowering people who are blind or vision impaired through peer support, information and advocacy to ensure that people can live full and productive lives. I've come to meet Emma at her hotel in Sydney. Her work means she travels a lot. And I stay in a lot of hotels. They all blur after a while. Um, so I called them after. Earlier this year, Emma was attending a conference and ran into trouble when navigating yet another unfamiliar hotel. In situations like this, she uses a tech service called Ira. Introducing Ira Horizon Smart Glasses. And basically what that is is that they have trained agents who are mostly based in the US and you wear either a pair of glasses or you use the camera on your phone and you call them up and they can guide you. Hi Juan, thanks for calling Ira, this is Erin. Hi Erin, I need to get to my doctor's office. Can you help me with that? Sure, you got it. I see you're working with your guide dog today. Hey Chloe, identify. I see a CVS pharmacy bottle. It says warfarin sodium tablet. Take one tablet every day. So, for example, I often use, use them to sort of f help me format documents, for example, or help me set the timer on the oven or whatever it might be that's, that's visual. But in this particular instance, I was staying in a hotel and I needed to get downstairs and I was meeting a friend for coffee. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll use Ira. So I called them up and they were able to guide me to find the, um, the lift button. And I think from memory on that occasion, the buttons weren't, they weren't raised or they had, they didn't have braille. And so it was very useful because they were able to, you know, they just said, you know, move your hand a bit to the left. Yep, that's, that's ground. And, um, and then they were able to guide me out of the elevator and help me find my friend who I was meeting for coffee. So um, it's a, an amazing service. It's really revolutionary. And it, it has on occasion reduced me to tears because it's just, it's, it's literally like having a sighted person with you, which can be very, very helpful. Technology has had a similarly life-changing effect for Greta. The invention of touchscreens meant she could ditch the heavy and awkward keyboard she used to speak. I communicate, work, socialise and do literally everything online with my iPad which is operated with my nose. Thinking back to before my family gave me my first iPhone and then iPad 10 years ago, my whole world was extremely different. I solely relied on outdated and slow methods to do everything from chatting with friends to doing my school work. Soon Greta could do away with typing altogether. 
eye tracking technology is becoming increasingly sophisticated. With just a glance, she could be writing her way to a master's. Without the tech she uses, Greta could never have completed even her bachelor. For Emma, it's these moments when something suddenly becomes possible that hit home. I don't usually dwell on what I can't do because, you know, what's the point really? Um, But, you know, when something becomes accessible all of a sudden, you just kind of go, wow, that's amazing. So I remember one particular day I was staying in another hotel and um, they gave me a bottle of wine and I thought, oh, that's really nice. Why did they do that? And then I realised there was a card next to it. There's an app called Seeing AI and I'd read that it could now read handwriting which is kind of the last bastion like we've never had a scanning product that could scan handwriting Um, so I thought oh well here's an opportunity I'll give it a try but it probably won't work and it did it worked and I was just yeah that was another moment where I was like oh yeah no I'll have to get out the tissues (laughs) because it was quite quite amazing but new technology doesn't always mean emancipation In fact, as tech progresses and becomes more ubiquitous, for people with a disability, we could make things worse, not better. What can technology mean to a person with a disability? Three things. Dignity, independence and equity. This is Simon Darcy. I'm a professor in the management department at the UCS Business School. Simon's work focuses on disability and inclusive practice in a lot of ways. In fact, more ways than most of us ever realise our society is badly designed, or at least not designed for all of us. 40% of all complaints made to the Australian Human Rights Commission, and there are thousands every year, concern disability discrimination. And, and it's, uh, it's a really interesting time in history at the moment because we've got, you know, 170-odd countries that have signed the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disability. And for those of us that have read it, sure, it includes the built environment, but the other part that they're very specific on is around information communication technology. So... Uh, there's now not just the moral imperative, but there's a human rights imperative. And as being working in a business school, there's also a very good business case for making sure designs can be used by as many people as possible. We are sprinting into a future that assumes you own and can operate a smartphone. Government services, job interviews, directions. If you want to be involved in society, just download the app. But what if you can't? Are developers making sure their tech can be used by everyone? No, no. I would say generally, (laughs) definitely not. Um, And it's one of the reasons why I love talking about this topic, because the more opportunities we have to, to remind people... Like, I don't think that developers are disinterested... Not at all. Um, the vast majority of them want to do the right thing um, and they want to they want to talk to people, but they just, A, they don't know where to find people um, and B, they haven't necessarily thought about it. If you don't look like a Silicon Valley employee, white, male, 
able, you can end up being left out of their innovations, simply unable to use them. And as the world is increasingly ruled by their tech, that becomes an ever bigger problem. Oh, well, we've already seen it. I mean, um, for example, the um, the Albert touchscreen FPOS machine that the Commonwealth Bank released. Maybe you've seen these in your cafe. FPOS machines that look and work like iPads with Combank's black and yellow colours. There's no buttons, only a touchscreen. Meet Albert. What makes Albert so different to any other merchant terminal is that he also runs apps designed to simplify your business operations and improve your customers' experience. Whilst it, it is usable, um, it's not user-friendly. So, um, for example, you, you have to listen to a five-minute tutorial before you can actually use it for the first time. And if you're standing in a queue um, in a supermarket or whatever, you're not going to want to be doing that and you're going to really piss off you know, the customers that are standing behind you. Um, and in a noisy environment, that's another thing. They didn't, they didn't consider the environments in which the machines would be used. So in a testing environment, it worked well. But in a noisy environment, because you have to listen out for these swishing noises in order to enter your pin, um, and, and you can't hear them. I mean, that seems, to me, that seems ridiculous. It, well, it is ridiculous. Here's the flip side to rapid tech advances. They aren't advances for everyone. In fact, sometimes they're a backward step. This is something that we could do before. It was very simple, you know. All of us knew that how to enter a pin using buttons. And so why take the buttons away? I mean, I think that's the other learning is that you need to have multiple pathways for people to do a particular task. You can't just assume that one input method for example is going to work for everyone so the more kind of inventive you can be about saying okay well we'll have a keypad but we'll also have a touch screen because for some people touch screens are great so it's about giving people choice but choice is being removed every day touch screens are replacing physical buttons on more and more products all the time that's bad news for blind and vision impaired people and a whole range of others as well because touchscreens are not just an issue for people who are blind or vision impaired. They can be an issue for people with dexterity issues or people with acquired brain injury or, you know, any number of, of impairments can cause problems when trying to access them. So um, it's really, really important that developers bring us to the table early so that rather than developing a product and then going, oh, shit, we've left out, you know, a, a portion of the population. Let's have the conversation early so that we can test it. Including diverse people in these conversations has a name, and a catchy one too, universal design. The basic principles of universal design are that, that it allow whatever that technological innovation is to be used by as many people as possible, no matter what their size uh, ability or a position across lifespan. I mean, it's a very simple concept, um, which basically says that whatever you're designing has to be um, inclusive of, of everybody, irrespective of how they um, interact with the world. So, um, so that, again, seems like common sense. Um, and if you work, you know, on on the basis of universal design, and there are a number of principles. And if you follow those principles, then 
you know, you, it's you can't really go wrong. And and oftentimes, um, the the changes that um, are made to accommodate people with disability um, end up assisting you know the broader population so i mean a classic example of that was text messaging when mobile phones were introduced most saw it as just that a device to make calls that you could carry around it was the deaf community who discovered a little known feature and introduced it to the rest of us text messaging that revolutionized human communication and that is the potential of including diverse people in design. Amazing, but not surprising. People with disabilities have always been innovators. This is Matt Beard, a fellow at the Ethics Centre in Sydney. They've always been incredibly creative at finding ways of negotiating a world that wasn't designed for them and using technologies as ways of being able to do that. Um, Ways of interacting with a keyboard when you don't have the the fine motor skills to be able to do so. Ways of navigating an environment where you might not necessarily be able to use stairs effectively. Um, And they've come up with very um, practical and ingenious solutions to those problems. When you eliminate those voices from your design conversation, you are missing... Uh, a cohort of people who have developed uh, a range of innovative skills inductively, you're just eliminating a, a whole heap of people who have remarkable lived experience in how to make stuff better. When people with a disability are left outside of the design process, everyday technology becomes unsuited to them. But for designers and engineers, the question isn't just how the technology works, it's also what the technology should be. When it comes to looking at an individual's embodiment, and I'm, uh, as a power wheelchair user, a lot of people from an ableist perspective could not think of anything more worse than not being able to walk. And so there is a fetish around people, tech, and walking. But if you actually talk to people with disability that have a spinal cord injury, sure, everybody wants to walk again, but there's a whole series of other impairment-based issues that they'd actually like to see addressed first. So whether that be um, bladder function, bowel function, uh, in my case also not being able to use my hands, being able to manipulate. Is, um, and also for, for some people that also involves sexual function. So you've got four things that we'd rather see first before people putting us into exoskeletons and having us uh, robocop around the, the world. My name is Mohammed Samu. I'm I'm twenty I'm twenty I'm twenty eight years old. Um, I like to go movies, shopping, out with friends, and just work on a bunch of different projects. You know what? You know, to help people better their lives. Mo and I have met at Northcote Innovation, an advocacy centre for people with disability. Mo has cerebral palsy, like Greta, and also uses a wheelchair. After coming to Northcote for a few years, Mo now does advocacy work for them, helping people like himself. Uh, I, I help with, um, with, with advocacy projects. Uh, we, we do a lot of sexual education projects. Uh, and, and, you know, to help people educate and to show them what's out there for them. 
Just as we heard from Simon Darcy, being able to walk is not the top priority for Mo. Not, not at all. Um, and instead, he focuses on raising awareness for disabled people around something he considers much more important, sexuality. The, the second needs of people with disability and that everyone deserves to feel that intimacy with someone else and that, and that connection and just to feel wanted and there, there's no judgement. Northcote Innovation has a focus on designing and developing technology for people with disabilities. Alicia Melita is a coordinator there, and together with Mo, they've held information nights around sexuality and technology. Our Feel the Vibe events, which is an event for people with disability and their support networks to come and learn about exploring their sexuality. So one component of that is that um, we have uh, like a local adult shop that um, are there to recommend certain products, uh, certain sex toys and sex aids that might be um, best suited to the individual with disabilities. Um, we don't want it to be like a clinical kind of style of event. We want it to, to be a, a fun night where people can learn more um, and explore what technology is out there already. Mo says simple oversights here can lead to the familiar feelings of frustration when people with a disability are not considered in designs. Because some of the products that I send they're quite heavy, um, and if if someone doesn't have a lot of strength, they kind of just hold the bloody thing and, and and you know put it where it needs to go. I'm like, well, where, how the hell is someone with a disability gonna hold that, put it in place, and then do what they gotta do? Alicia says that the designers of sexual aid tech have been open to consultation when it comes to considering the needs of people with a disability. Everyone that we've spoken to has been really um, open to um, making sure that their products are inclusive of everyone. We haven't really had a bad experience where someone's turned down our ideas. They've always been really open to um, listening to people with disability. You know, maybe people are a bit more welcoming in that adult toy production kind of. I guess they, they seem to be a bit more inclusive of everyone's needs. Maybe it seems impractical to consider the needs of this diverse consumer base. An unfair expectation on businesses. Simon Darcy flips the question. Why don't we just design for men, since men are already in the most powerful positions in the world? That'd be crazy. We, we'd, uh, you, know, you, you wouldn't be able to step through the university without people wanting to uh, you know, castigate you for even suggesting that you shouldn't design for... 50% of the community. So then um, let's think about um, only designing for certain racial groups. That wouldn't be palatable in any sense. If we were to exclude one gender from design considerations, that would be a 50% reduction in the market. If we don't consider the multitude of disability groups, we fail to see a similar level of exclusion. And that seems like a lot of lost business. And and there is, and there let me, I'll click off sort of four or five of the major groups. So people with vision impairment who are blind, people with hearing impairment who are deaf, people with mobility disability like myself, those with intellectual or cognitive disability, learning disabilities. And then there's a series of others, you know, chemical sensitivity, people that have got some form of disfigurement, uh, that are discriminated against terribly. So it's about 18% of the Australian population, or popularly uh, you know, one in five people. And then you also add temporary disability to that, 
or episodic disability, so people with mental health issues, for example. So you're looking, uh, colleagues and I have uh, uh, come up with a figure of approximately 32% of the population at any point in time will have some form of disability. That's one third of the population that stands to miss out on the benefits of technological progress. Enjoying such benefits in full is a human right. And while it may seem like a financial burden to test widely and with diverse users, Emma Benison says the alternative is worse. Yeah, it costs a lot more to retrofit. So if, you, if you're stupid enough to develop a piece of technology and, and not test it um, with a broad range of people and then find that you have to retrofit it, then you're going to cost, it's going to cost you a lot more than if you develop it in that way from the ground up. The other thing is no one really seems to factor in the reputational damage or the brand damage that's inherent with um, developing a piece of technology that's not accessible. Um, and it certainly is, it certainly is damaging. Um, and, uh, you know, it's much, much better to, to build it from the ground up. And I can tell you from experience that, that most people with disability, if they can see that you're trying, you may not always get it right, but if they can see that you're trying, they're going to they're gonna do their best to support you. You know, they're not going to give you a hard time. Um, but if you haven't even bothered to consult with us, then, yeah, we're, we're probably going to be grumpy. Yeah. And, yeah. The truth is technology presents us with a wonderful opportunity to right one of the most significant wrongs that our society excludes millions of people from engaging in it because of the way it has been constructed. Some of the assistive tech that we're talking about, things like speech recognition, terrific. Things like screen readers, awesome stuff. And of course, where things would have been designed uh, around blue collar work in the past, manual labor, we're in an information society and we're in um, an age where we are seeing uh, the economy of ideas. When design and engineering help people with a disability enter the workplace, there's a virtuous cycle. More and more what we need to be doing is employing people with disability in the technology space. Um, You know, there are some incredibly smart um, people with disability and working in the the technology sector. So um, I think the more that technology companies can do that, um, the, the more that accessibility will be central to the, the development of technology because I really do think that um, sometimes the best way forward is to have disability in people's faces every single day so they can't actually forget, even if they want to. The opportunities and the dangers are both there. The question is, is there reason to be hopeful? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm an, I'm a born optimist. You can't work in advocacy and not be an optimist because there are very few wins. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, no, I absolutely am. I'm more hopeful about the opportunities. I think the difference is, and we spoke about this a little bit yesterday, that um, you don't want to come up with a solution for what you think people with disability need without engaging them in the process from the beginning. No, I'm particularly hopeful about tech. I think the areas where I'm not hopeful is where people uh, people come up with a technical solution to what they see as a problem for disability without actually engaging with us. And it comes back to that slogan, nothing about us without us. If we don't design technology for everyone, 
the discrimination that exists in everyday life will only worsen as our world becomes ever more tech-defined. Greta puts it simply as a question of fairness. I think access to technology is extremely important for people who have disabilities as it equalises them with everyone else. It has affected my ability to speak, work and be fully involved with my community and really the world. Thanks for listening to All Things Equal, a collaboration between the Centre for Social Justice and Inclusion at the University of Technology, Sydney, and 2SER 107.3. The podcast is produced by Dan Butler. Thanks to supervising producer Sharon Davis and Amelia Navasquez for sound design support. 2SER sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, country that was never ceded. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe or maybe give us a review so other people can find us. I'm Verity Firth. Till next time.